0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California, Winter 2006. Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe CHAPTER Nineteen. RETURN TO ENGLAND. Having done all this, I left them the next day, and went on board the ship. We prepared immediately to sail, but did not weigh that night. The next morning early, two of the five men came swimming to the ship's side, and making the most lamentable complaint of the other three, begged to be taken into the ship, for God's sake, for they should be murdered, and begged the captain to take them on board, though he hanged them immediately. Upon this the captain pretended to have no power without me. But after some difficulty, and after their solemn promises of amendment, they were taken on board and were, some time after, soundly whipped and pickled, after which they proved very honest and quiet fellows. Some time after this the boat was ordered on shore, the tide being up, and with the things promised to the men, to which the captain, at my intercession, caused their chests and clothes to be added, which they took, and were very thankful for, I also encouraged them by telling them that if it lay in my power to send any vessel to take them in, I would not forget them. When I took leave of this island, I carried on board for relics the great goatskin cap I had made, my umbrella, and one of my parrots. Also, I forgot not to take The money, I formerly mentioned, which had lain by me so long, useless, that it was grown rusty or tarnished, and could hardly pass for silver till it had been a little rubbed and handled, as also the money I found in the wreck of the Spanish ship. And thus I left the island. The 19th of December, as I found by the ship's account, in the year of sixteen eighty six, after I had been upon it eight and twenty years, two months, and nineteen days, being delivered from this second captivity the same day of the month that I first made my escape in the long boat from among the moors of Scilly. In this vessel, after a long voyage, I arrived in England the 11th of June in the year 1687, having been thirty-five years absent. When I came to England, I was as perfect a stranger to all the world as if I had never been known there. My benefactor and faithful steward, whom I had left my money in trust with, was alive, but had had great misfortunes in the world, was become a widow the second time, and very low in the world. I made her very easy as to what she owed me, assuring her I would give her no trouble. But, on the contrary, in gratitude for her former care and faithfulness to me, I relieved her as my little stock would afford which at that time would indeed allow me to do but little for her, but I assured her I would never forget her former kindness to me, nor did I forget her when I had sufficient to help her, as shall be observed in its proper place. I went down afterwards into Yorkshire, but my father was dead, and my mother and all the family extinct except that I found two sisters, and two of the children of one of my brothers, and, as I had long been given over for dead, there had been no provision made for me, so that, in a word, I found nothing to relieve or assist me, and that the little money I had would not do much for me as to settling in the world. I met with one piece of gratitude indeed, which I did not expect, and this was that the master of the ship, whom I had so happily delivered, and by the same means saved the ship and cargo, having given a very handsome account to the owners of the manor how I had saved the lives of the men and the ship, they invited me to meet them and some other merchants concerned, and altogether made me a very handsome compliment upon the subject, and a present of almost two hundred pounds sterling. But after making several reflections upon the circumstances of my life, and how little way this would go towards settling me in the world, I resolved to go to Lisbon, and see if I might not come at some information of the state of my plantation in the Brazils, and of what was become of my partner, who, I had reason to suppose, had some years past given me over for dead. With this view I took shipping for Lisbon, where I arrived in April following, my man Friday accompanying me very honestly in all these ramblings, and proving a most faithful servant upon all occasions. When I came to Lisbon I found out, by inquiry, and to my particular satisfaction my old friend the captain of the ship who first took me up at sea off the shore of africa he was now grown old and had left off going to sea having put his son who was far from a young man into his ship and who still used the brazil trade the old man did not know me and indeed i hardly knew him but I soon brought him to my remembrance, and as soon brought myself to his remembrance, when I told him who I was. After some passionate expressions of the old acquaintance between us, I inquired, you may be sure, after my plantation and my partner. The old man told me he had not been in the Brazils for about nine years, but that he could assure me that, when he came away, my partner was living, but the trustees whom I had joined with him to take cognizance of my part were both dead, that, however, he believed I would have a very good account of the improvement of the plantation, for that, upon the general belief of being my cast away and drowned, my trustees had given the account of the produce of my part of the plantation to the procurator fiscal." who had appropriated it, in case I never came to claim it, one-third to the king, and two-thirds to the monastery of St. Augustine, to be expended for the benefit of the poor, and for the conversion of the Indians to the Catholic faith, but that if I appeared, or any one for me, to claim the inheritance, it would be restored, only that the improvement or annual production being distributed to charitable uses, could not be restored. But he assured me that the steward of the king's revenue from lands, and the providore, or steward of the monastery, had taken great care all along that the incumbent, that is to say my partner, gave every year a faithful account of the produce, of which they had duly received my moiety. I asked them if he knew to what height of improvement he had brought the plantation, and whether he thought it might be worth looking after, or whether, on my going thither, I should meet with any obstruction to my possessing my just right in the moiety. He told me he could not tell exactly to what degree the plantation was improved, but this he knew, that my partner was grown exceedingly rich upon the enjoying his part of it, and that, to the best of his remembrance, he had heard that the king's third of my part, which was, uh, it seems, granted away to some other monastery or religious house, amounted to above two hundred moidores a year, that, as to my being restored to a quiet possession of it, there was no question to be made of that, my partner being alive to witness my title, and my name being also enrolled in the registry of the country. Also, he told me that the survivors of my two trustees were very fair, honest people, and very wealthy, and he believed I would not only have their assistance for putting me in possession, but would find a very considerable sum of money in their hands for my account being the produce of the farm, while their fathers held the trust, and before it was given up, as above, which, as he remembered, was for about twelve years. I showed myself a little concerned and uneasy at this account, and inquired of the old captain how it came to pass that the trustees should thus dispose of my effects, when he knew that I had made my will, and had made him, the Portuguese captain, my universal heir, etc. He told me that was true, but that as there was no proof of my being dead, he could not act as executor, until some certain account should come of my death. And, besides, he was not willing to intermeddle with a thing so remote— that it was true he had registered my will, and put in his claim, and could he have given any account of my being dead or alive, he would have acted by procuration, and taken possession of the Ingenio, so they call the sugar-house, and have given his son, who was now at the Brazils, orders to do it. But, says the old man, I have one piece of news to tell you, which perhaps may not be so acceptable to you as the rest, and that is, believing you were lost, and all the world believing so also, your partner and trustees did offer to account with me, in your name, for the first six or eight years of profits which I received. There being at that time great disbursements for increasing the works, building an ingenio, and buying slaves, It did not amount to near so much as afterwards it produced, however, says the old man. I shall give you a true account of what I have received and all, and how I have disposed of it. After a few further days' conference with this ancient friend, he brought me an account of the first six years' income of my plantation, signed by my partner and the merchant trustees, being always delivered in goods, that is, tobacco and roll, and sugar in chests, besides rum, molasses, etc., which is the consequence of a sugar work. And I found, by this account, that every year the income considerably increased, but, as above, the disbursements being large, the sum at first was small, however, the old man let me see that he was a debtor to me four hundred and seventy moidotis of gold, besides sixty chests of sugar and fifteen double rolls of tobacco, which were lost in his ship, he having been shipwrecked coming home to Lisbon about eleven years after my having the place. The good man then began to complain of his misfortunes, and how he had been obliged to make use of my money to cover his losses, and buy him a share in a new ship. "'However, my old friend,' says he, "'you shall not want a supply in your necessity, "'and as soon as my son returns "'you shall be fully satisfied. "'Upon this he pulls out an old pouch "'and gives me one hundred and sixty "'Portugal moedores in gold, "'and giving the writings of his title to the ship, which his son was gone to the Brazil's inn, of which he was quarter-part owner, and his son another, he puts them both into my hands for security of the rest. I was too much moved with the honesty and kindness of the poor man to be able to bear this, and remembering what he had done for me, how he had taken me up at sea, and how generously he had used me on all occasions, and particularly how sincere a friend he was now to me, I could hardly refrain from weeping at what he had said to me. Therefore, I asked him if his circumstances admitted him to spare so much money at that time, and if it would not straiten him. He told me he could not say, but it might straighten him a little, but, however, it was my money, and I might want it more than he. Everything the good man said was full of affection, and I could hardly refrain from tears while he spoke. In short, I took one hundred of the moradores, and called for a pen and ink to give him a receipt for them. Then I returned him the rest— and told him, if ever I had possession of the plantation, I would return the other to him as well, as indeed I afterwards did, and that, as to the bill of sale of his part and his sonship, I would not take it by any means, but that if I wanted the money, I found he was honest enough to pay me, and if I did not, but came to receive what he gave me reason to expect i would never have a penny more from him when this was passed the old man asked me if he should put me into a method to make a claim to my plantation i told him i thought to go over to it myself he said i might do so if i pleased but that if I did not, there were ways enough to secure my right, and immediately to appropriate the profits to my use. And, as there were ships in the river of Lisbon just ready to go away to Brazil, he made me enter my name in a public register with his affidavit, affirming upon oath that I was alive, and that I was the same person who took up the land for the planting the said plantation at first. This being regularly attested by a notary, and a procuration affixed, he directed me to send it, with a letter of his writing, to a merchant of his acquaintance at the place, and then proposed my staying with him, till an account came of the return." Never was anything more honorable than the proceedings upon this procuration, for in less than seven months I received a large packet from the survivors of my trustees, the merchants for whose account I went to see, in which were the following particular papers and letters enclosed. First, there was the account current of the produce of my farm or plantation, from the year when their fathers had balanced with my old Portugal captain, being six years, the balance appeared to be 1,174 moidores in my favor. Secondly, there was the account of four years more, while they kept the effects in their hands, before the government claimed the administration as being the effects of a person not to be found, which they called civil death, and the balance of this, the value of the plantation increasing, amounted to 19,446 cruzados, being about 3,240 moedores. Thirdly, there was the prior of St. Augustine's account, who had received the profits for above fourteen years but not being able to account for what was disposed of by the hospital very honestly declared he had eight hundred and seventy-two moidores not distributed which he acknowledged to my account as to the king's part they refunded nothing there was a letter of my partners congratulating me very affectionately upon my being alive giving me an account how the estate was improved, and what it produced a year, with the particulars of the number of squares, or acres, that it contained, how planted, how many slaves there were upon it, and making two-and-twenty crosses for blessings, told me that he had said so many Ave Marias to thank the Blessed Virgin that I was alive inviting me very passionately to come over and take possession of my own, and in the meantime to give him orders, to whom he should deliver my effects if I did not come myself, concluding with a hearty tender of his friendship, and that of his family, and sent me as a present seven fine leopard-skins, which he had, it seems, received from Africa by some other ship, that he had sent thither, and which, it seems, had made a better voyage than I. He sent me also five chests of excellent sweetmeats, and a hundred pieces of gold uncoined, not quite so large as moidores. By the same fleet, my two merchant trustees shipped me one thousand two hundred chests of sugar, eight hundred rolls of tobacco, and the rest of the whole account in gold. I might well say now, and indeed, that the latter end of Job was better than the beginning. It is impossible to impress the flutterings of my heart, when I found all my wealth about me. For, as the Brazil ships come all in fleets, the same ships which brought my letters brought my goods and the effects were safe in the river before the letters came to my hand in a word i turned pale and grew sick and had not the old man run and fetched me a cordial i believe the sudden surprise of joy had overset nature and i had died upon the spot nay after that i continued very ill and was so for some hours till a physician being sent for and something of the real cause of my illness being known he ordered me to be let blood after which i had relief and grew well but i verily believe if i had not been let and eased by vent given in that manner to the spirits i should have died i was now master, all of a sudden, of about five thousand pounds sterling in money, and had an estate, as I might well call it, in the Brazils, of above a thousand pounds a year, as sure as an estate of lands in England. And, in a word, I was in a condition which I scarce knew how to understand, or how to compose myself, FOR THE ENJOYMENT OF IT. THE FIRST THING I DID WAS TO RECOMPENSE MY ORIGINAL BENEFACTOR, MY GOOD OLD CAPTAIN, WHO HAD BEEN FIRST CHARITABLE TO ME IN MY DISTRESS, KIND TO ME IN MY BEGINNING, AND HONEST TO ME AT THE END. I SHOWED HIM ALL THAT WAS SENT TO ME. I TOLD HIM THAT, NEXT TO THE PROVIDENCE OF HEAVEN, WHICH DISPOSED ALL THINGS, IT WAS owing TO HIM and that it now lay on me to reward him which i would do a hundredfold so i first returned to him the hundred moidores i had received of him then i sent for a notary and caused him to draw up a general release or discharge from the four hundred and seventy moidores which he had acknowledged he owed me in the fullest and firmest manner possible after which I caused a procuration to be drawn, empowering him to be the receiver of the annual profits of my plantation, and appointing my partner to account with him, and make the returns, by the usual fleets, to him in my name, and, by a clause in the end, made a grant of one hundred moidores a year to him during his life, out of the effects." and fifty moidores a year to his son after him, for his life. And thus I requited my old man. I had now to consider which way to steer my course next, and what to do with the estate that Providence had thus put into my hands. And, indeed, I had more care upon my head now than I had in my state of life in the island, where I wanted nothing but what I had, and had nothing but what I wanted. Whereas I had now a great charge upon me, and my business was how to secure it. I had not a cave now to hide my money in, or a place where it might lie without lock or key, till it grew moldy and tarnished before anybody would meddle with it. On the contrary, I knew not where to put it, or whom to trust it with. My old patron, the captain, indeed, was honest, and that was the only refuge I had. In the next place my interest in the Brazil seemed to summon me thither, but now I could not tell how to think of going thither till I had settled my affairs, and left my effects in some safe hands behind me. At first I thought of my old friend the widow, who I knew was honest, and would be just to me. But then she was in years, and but poor, and, for aught I knew, might be in debt, so that, in a word, I had no way but to go back to England myself, and take my effects with me. It was some months, however, before I resolved upon this and therefore as i had rewarded the old captain fully and to his satisfaction who had been my former benefactor so i began to think of the poor widow whose husband had been my first benefactor and she while it was in her power my faithful steward and instructor so the first thing i did i got a merchant in lisbon to write to his correspondent in london not only to pay a bill, but to go find her out and carry her, in money, a hundred pounds from me, and to talk with her, and comfort her in her poverty, by telling her she should, if I lived, have a further supply. At the same time I sent my two sisters in the country a hundred pounds each, they being, though not in want, yet not in very good circumstances, one having been married and left a widow, and the other having a husband not so kind to her as he should be. But among all my relations or acquaintances, I could not yet pitch upon one to whom I durst commit the gross of my stock, that I might go away to the Brazils, and leave things safe behind me. And this greatly perplexed me. I had once a mind to have gone to the Brazils, and have settled myself there, for I was, as it were, naturalized to the place, but I had some little scruple in my mind about religion which insensibly drew me back. However, it was not religion that kept me from going there for the present, and as I had made no scruple of being openly of the religion of the country all the while I was among them— so neither did I yet, only that, now and then, having of late thought more of it than formerly, when I began to think of living and dying among them, I began to regret having professed myself a papist, and thought it might not be the best religion to die with. But, as I have said, this was not the main thing that kept me from going to the Brazils but that I really did not know with whom to leave my effects behind me. So I resolved at last to go to England, where, if I arrived, I concluded that I should make some acquaintance, or find some relations that would be faithful to me, and, accordingly, I prepared to go to England with all my wealth. In order to prepare things for my going home, I first the Brazil fleet being just gone away, resolved to give answers suitable to the just and faithful account of things I had from thence. And, first, to the prior of St. Augustine, I wrote a letter full of thanks for his just dealings, and the offer of the 872 moidores which were undisposed of, which I desired might be given 500 to the monastery in 372, to THE POOR, AS THE PRIOR SHOULD DIRECT, DESIRING THE GOOD PADRE'S PRAYERS FOR ME AND THE LIKE. I WROTE NEXT A LETTER OF THANKS TO MY TWO TRUSTEES, WITH ALL THE ACKNOWLEDGEMENT THAT SO MUCH JUSTICE AND HONESTY CALLED FOR, AS FOR SENDING THEM ANY PRESENT, THEY WERE FAR ABOVE HAVING ANY OCCASION OF IT. LASTLY I WROTE TO MY PARTNER acknowledging his industry in the improving the plantation, and his integrity in increasing the stock of the works, giving him instructions for his future government of my part, according to the powers I had left with my old patron, to whom I desired him to send whatever became due to me, till he should hear from me more particularly, assuring him that it was my intention not only to come to him but to settle myself there for the remainder of my life to this i added a very handsome present of some italian silks for his wife and two daughters for such the captain's son informed me he had with two pieces of fine english broadcloth the best i could find in lisbon five pieces of black baize and some Flanders-lace of a good value. Having thus settled my affairs, sold my cargo, and turned all my effects into good bills of exchange, my next difficulty was which way to go to England. I had been accustomed enough to the sea, and yet i had a strange aversion to go to england by the sea at that time and yet i could not give reason for it still the difficulty increased upon me so much that though i had once shipped my baggage in order to go yet i altered my mind and that not once but two or three times it is true I had been very unfortunate by sea, and this might be one of the reasons, but let no man slight the strong impulses of his own thoughts in cases of such moment. Two of the ships which I had singled out to go in, I mean, more particularly singled out than any other, having put my things on board one of them, and in the other having agreed with the captain, I say, two of these ships— miscarried. One was taken by the Algerines, and the other was lost on the start near Torbay, and all the people drowned, except three, so that in either of those vessels I had been made miserable. Having thus been harassed in my thoughts, my old pilot, to whom I communicated everything, pressed me earnestly not to go by sea, but either to go by land to the Groyna, and cross over by the Bay of Biscay to Rochelle, from whence it was but an easy and safe journey, by land to Paris, and so to Calais and Dover, or to go up to Madrid, and so all the way by land through France. In a word, I was so prepossessed against my going by sea at all, except from Calais to Dover, that I resolved to travel all the way by land, which, as I was not in haste, and did not value the charge, was by much the pleasanter way, and to make it more so, my old captain brought an English gentleman, the son of a merchant in Lisbon, who was willing to travel with me after which we picked up two more english merchants also and two young portuguese gentlemen the last going to paris only so that in all there were six of us and five servants the two merchants and the two portuguese contenting themselves with one servant between two to save the charge and as for me i got an english sailor to travel with me as a servant besides my man Friday, who was too much a stranger to be capable of supplying the place of a servant on the road. In this manner I set out from Lisbon, and our company, being very well mounted and armed, we made a little troop, whereof they did me the honor to call me Captain, as well because I was the oldest man, as because I had two servants, and indeed was the origin of the whole journey as i have troubled you with none of my sea journals so i shall trouble you now with none of my land journals but some adventures that happened to us in this tedious and difficult journey i must not omit when we came to madrid we being all of us strangers to spain were willing to stay some time to see the court of Spain, and what was worth observing. But it being the latter part of the summer, we hastened away, and set out from Madrid about the middle of October. But when we came to the edge of Navarre, we were alarmed, at several towns on the way, with an account that so much snow was falling on the French side of the mountains, that several travellers were obliged to come back to Pampeluna, after having attempted, at an extreme hazard, to pass on. When we came to Pampeluna itself, we found it so indeed, and to me, that had been always used to a hot climate, and to countries where I could scarce bear any clothes on, the cold was insufferable nor indeed was it more painful than surprising to come but ten days before out of old Castile, where the weather was not only warm, but very hot, and immediately to feel a wind from the Pyrenean mountains so very keen, so severely cold as to be intolerable, and to endanger benumbing and perishing of our fingers and toes poor Friday, was really frightened when he saw the mountains all covered with snow, and felt cold weather, which he had never seen or felt before in his life. To mend the manor, when we came to Pampeluna, it continued snowing with so much violence and so long, that the people said winter was come before its time, and the roads, which were difficult before, were now quite impassable. For, in a word, the snow lay in some places too thick for us to travel. And being not hard frozen, as is the case in the northern countries, there was no going without being in danger of being buried alive every step. We stayed no less than twenty days at Pampeluna, when, seeing the weather coming on, and no likelihood of its being better, for it was the severest winter all over Europe that had been known in the memory of man, I proposed that we should go away to Fontarabia, and there take shipping for Bordeaux, which was a very little voyage. But while I was considering this, there came in four French gentlemen, who, having been stopped on the French side of the passes, as we were on the Spanish had found out a guide, who, traversing the country near the head of Landoc, had brought them over the mountains by such ways that they were not much incommoded by the snow. For where they met with snow in any quantity, they said it was frozen hard enough to bear them and their horses. We sent for this guide, who told us he would undertake to carry us the same way with no hazard from the snow, provided we were armed sufficiently to protect ourselves from wild beasts. For, he said, in these great snows it was frequent for some wolves to show themselves at the foot of the mountains, being made ravenous for want of food, the ground being covered with snow. We told him we were well enough prepared for such creatures as they were. If he would ensure us from a kind of two-legged wolves, which we were told we were in most danger from, especially on the French side of the mountains. He satisfied us that there was no danger of that kind in the way that we were to go, so we readily agreed to follow him, as did also twelve other gentlemen with their servants, some French, some Spanish, who, as I said, had attempted to go and were obliged to come back again. Accordingly, we set out from Pamplona with our guide on the 15th of November, and indeed I was surprised when, instead of going forward, we came directly back with us on the same road that we came from Madrid, about twenty miles, when, having passed two rivers and come into the plain country, we found ourselves in a warm climate again where the country was pleasant and no snow to be seen but on a sudden turning to his left he approached the mountains another way and though it is true the hills and precipices looked dreadful yet he made so many tours such meanders and led us by such winding ways that we insensibly passed the height of the mountains without being much encumbered with the snow and all on a sudden he showed us the pleasant and fruitful provinces of Languedoc and Gascony, all green and flourishing, though at a great distance, and we had some rough way to pass still. We were a little uneasy, however, when we found it snowed one whole day and a night so fast that we could not travel. But he bid us be easy. We should soon be past it all. We found, indeed, that... We began to descend every day, and to come more north than before, and so, depending upon our guide, we went on. It was about two hours before night when, our guide being something before us, and not just in sight, out rushed three monstrous wolves, and after them a bear, from a hollow way adjoining to a great wood. Two of the wolves made at the guide, and— HAD HE BEEN FAR BEFORE US, HE WOULD HAVE BEEN DEVOURED BEFORE WE COULD HAVE HELPED HIM. ONE OF THEM FASTENED UPON HIS HORSE, AND THE OTHER ATTACKED THE MAN WITH SUCH VIOLENCE THAT HE HAD NOT TIME OR PRESENCE OF MIND ENOUGH TO DRAW HIS PISTOL, BUT halloed AND cried OUT TO US MOST LUSTILY. MY MAN FRIDAY BEING NEXT TO ME, I BADE HIM ride UP AND SEE WHAT WAS THE MATTER. As soon as Friday came in sight of the man, he halloed out as loud as the other, O master! O master! but like a bold fellow, rode directly up to the poor man, and with his pistol shot the wolf in the head that attacked him. It was happy for the poor man that it was my man Friday, for, having been used to such creatures in his country, he had no fear upon him but went close up to him and shot him, whereas any other of us would have fired at a farther distance, and had perhaps either missed the wolf or endangered shooting the man. But it was enough to have terrified a bolder man than I, and indeed it alarmed all our company, when, with the noise of Friday's pistol, we heard on both sides the most dismal howling of wolves and the noise redoubled by the echo of the mountains appeared to us as if there had been a prodigious number of them and perhaps there was not such a few as that we had no cause of apprehension however as friday had killed this wolf the other that had fastened upon the horse left him immediately AND FLED WITHOUT DOING HIM ANY DAMAGE, HAVING HAPPILY FASTENED UPON HIS HEAD WHERE THE BOSSES OF THE BRIDLE HAD STUCK IN HIS TEETH. BUT THE MAN WAS MOST HURT, FOR THE RAGING CREATURE HAD BIT HIM TWICE, ONCE IN THE ARM AND THE OTHER TIME A LITTLE ABOVE HIS KNEE, AND THOUGH HE HAD MADE SOME DEFENSE, HE WAS JUST TUMBLING DOWN BY THE DISORDER OF HIS HORSE when Friday came up and shot the wolf. It is easy to suppose that, at the noise of Friday's pistol, we all mended our pace and rode up as fast as the way, which was very difficult, would give us leave, to see what was the matter. As soon as we came clear of the trees, which blinded us before, we saw clearly what was the case, and how Friday had disengaged the poor guide, Though we did not presently discern what kind of creature it was he had killed. Chapter 19